0: What's written for Nur? Arab. We
1: must send Arab. Thirty years, the second September 3 on Nur. She says the 13th man must be no Northman. What the hell are you saying? The 13th warrior is you.
0: Welcome back to Man Cave Movie Reviews, Episode 6. Joining me for this great review is my good and dear friend, Jeff,
2: little brother, Muncie. (laughs) Good evening, Steve. I see we have also with us a a silk shirted messenger boy.
0: Nice. Also joining us for this uh, great review of The 13th Warrior is our other good and dear friend, Mark. They've roused the fireworm. Slover.
1: <laughs> Lo, there do I see my Woodford Reserve. Lo, <laughs> there do I see my Blantons and my Maker's Mark and my Willets. Lo, there do I see the line of my Kentucky Bourbons in my liquor cabinet.
0: You know, I think we could just pretty much call it right there. That <laughs> <it>. That's, that's <laughs> outstanding. Very well done.
1: He's rehearsed
0: that all week. I, You know what? Were you in the mirror rehearsing that all week with a bottle of bourbon in your hand? I
1: did. I stood there, smiled at myself, had a dog standing beside me hoping that they'd get a little bourbon as I sloshed it around.
0: Nice. Anyway, for those of you who probably don't recognize those quotes, we are going to be reviewing The 13th Warrior, starring uh, one of my uh, favorite actors, even though he's only been a few things that I've seen. I do like him, is Antonio Banderas, and in a uh, brief role, uh, and who was so upset about the movie afterwards, went into temporary retirement, Omar Sharif. Can you believe that? I, you know, I have a hard time with that. I'm not quite understanding what that was all about. IMBD says that he was upset with the movie, didn't say why, just said that he went into early retirement over it. So it's like, all right, well,
2: by all means... I had heard two. Th- I had read two things somewhere. One of them was he was not happy with the in production of the movie. The second thing is, as you, I don't know if you read about this, uh, I guess the uh, Michael Crichton came in and reshot some uh, some scenes because okay. he didn't think they were up to snuff. What Omar had said in some interviews was he was unhappy with the, and I'm going to paraphrase here, the um, amateur director that he was working with. Now, I don't know if that was, if he was referring to Crichton, or if he's uh, referring to uh, to uh, uh, Tiernan. McTiernan. But he was not happy McTiernan because he was not happy with some sort of directorship here.
0: Had to have been Crichton, because McTiernan is pretty much, at this point, an established uh, director. Well, that's what I was wondering.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, but he, we're doing but, our second McTiernan movie. We did Predator. You guys did Predator earlier. Yeah. He's hes already proven his chops at this point. Yeah. Of course well, he, he has.
0: Yeah, he's done Predator. He's done Die Hard. I mean, this is the guy that knows how to do an action movie. So not quite sure what the issue is. It had to have been Crichton. I didn't realize Crichton actually came in and did any, any directing in this. And so that was kind of news to me because, honestly, guys, like I mentioned before pre-show, you know i love the movie i really didn't read any of the trivia or any of the background or the history uh behind the movie prior to seeing it so when i saw that i was a little i was a little surprised not sure what to say about that
1: well and it it sounds like it was egos got in the way between what Crichton thought should be done and how mccairn visualized the movie and i don't know if it really impacted the the quality of the movie there's There's comments, and we've all read them in Wikipedia, or in you know, Wikipedia is such a trusty source, and IMDb, about people commenting they'd really like to see the extended edition. So who knows? It sounds like there were egos involved, and Charisse's Charisse's ego got also been out of shape. But I noticed his retirement was short-lived because he probably needed a paycheck.
0: Well, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of wondered about that a little bit because – and I'll just say full disclosure – I love this movie. I think it is a very well done movie. I thought the acting was really good. When I saw that Omar Sharif was in it, um, after the movie was over, I'm thinking, was this a pay the bills, pad the pension thing or something for him? Because it's a good movie. It's a it's a man cave movie, it's a it's the kind of movies the guys like. It's not the kind of movie that I thought Omar Sharif would be in.
2: Well, he said that he said that he was not going to be taking part in movies that were basically, um, you know, paycheck fillers.
0: Well, that was Uh, a paycheck filler for him, as far as I'm concerned, because he was in it for like what about ten minutes of the movie. um, If If, if if that that small,
2: you know, that role reminds me of two people. You know, we we uh, going back to Conan with Max Sadao. And how you know he, you know Omar Sharif just adds a little bit of extra character to the movie and credibility, right? Is the word um, gravitas? I think the word is gravitas. gravitas. Yeah. But you know, I mean, you know, he does you know he does a solid job, but I don't think his acting is you know is that outstanding in it. But that said, you know, you have the similarity between him and uh, also an Alec Guinness, Sir Alec Guinness, hmm. who added uh, you know certain gravitas to uh, Star Wars. Uh, who also left kind of that franchise with with a little bit of regret, yes, so to say.
0: He did. He did. I think he, uh, I, I read a few things about that where he uh, essentially said that he was tired of being typecasted as Obi-Wan Kenobi and not of a lot of the, his
1: earlier work.
0: And, but, you know, again, and-
1: he, but again, he cashed the check.
0: Well, he cast a check. But, you know, with some of these guys, I think it's like that. I think with them, with some actors, it is, I don't know, it's an art. It's, I, I'm going to pick and choose my things. Or you have other actors like Michael Caine, who does Jaws 3. And when they're asked, like, why did you do, do Jaws 3? See that house? <laughs> that's what I, thats what I bought Jeez. with the movie. <laughs> and because to him, it's not about it; It's a job. Yep. Because it's he, a trade. Yeah, it's a trade. It's like, to him, it's like... <laughs> I think one of the jokes is like, you know, I mean, you could pretty much probably peruse through your whole movies and find Michael Caine is probably in there. The guy's, I mean, the guy's been in everything. He's
2: prolific. Or Donald Sutherland. Or
0: or Donald Sutherland. I mean, he's, you know, he's another one. I mean, he pretty much will play any kind of part. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I think some of the actors, like the Omar Sharif, are the ones like, oh, I could not possibly be in that movie. And I'm not talking about doing made-for-cable movies and that kind of crap. But this was a good movie. 13th Warrior, I thought, was a pretty good movie. And what I want to do right now is, for those people who are listening, may not have seen the movie, I'm going to do a real quick IMBD review of the movie, just so you can get a background of what's going on. But the 13th Warrior in AD 922... So we're uh, post-Roman Empire, an important emissary who is banished from his homeland. The nomadic outcast comes across a band of Norse warriors who coerce him into joining joining them when they are summoned to fight mysterious creatures legendary for consuming every living thing in their path. Eventually surrounded by the frightening and ferocious foe Ibn Fahlad, I can never say his name right, must conquer his personal fears and help battle the elusive evaders who emerge out of the fraud of log in black knight. That actually kinda of sucked because that's kind of what it is, but my review my, my plot summary is gonna be a lot better. Antonio Banderas plays a Arab poet, shall we say, who has been exiled from his native land because he was I don't know, flirt flirting get a little fresh with the Sultan's daughter, shall we say? And they make him an emissary to the uh Euro- european area
2: <laughs> and,
0: dushbagistan. and yeah, dushbagistan very nice i like it gonna mark that one down as one of our new terms <laughs> dushbagistan so is he goes up of- <laughs> so he is he is banished up there as an ambassador and he ends up coming across a band of what they refer to as northmen well, when you see the boats that they're riding around on the river on, you pretty much figure, yeah, these dudes are Vikings. When I actually, when I first saw this movie, I really was kind of confused about that. I thought, well, man, dude, this guy got up to maybe about Turkey and he's seeing Vikings. Didn't realize those guys got down that far. Yeah, they got a lot farther than Turkey, too. So uh, the Vikings really were pretty, very vast land travelers. I mean, they were pretty much all over the place.
1: Well, and and let me jump in there real quick because I thought there was a real neat um, point in the movie early on where Omar Sharif is speaking with, I think it's Herger, yes, the blonde, and they're speaking in Latin because everyone else speaks Norse except Herger, and I'm watching that going, all right, odds are he was part of the emperor, uh, the Byzantine emperor's Varangian guard, Mm -hmm. and a little bit of history the the byzantine emperors surrounded themselves with wait for it vikings called varangians to guard them because they would stay loyal you couldn't buy them because the the byzantine emperors got the most cash and i thought that was a real neat touch if you if you knew history was this guy was probably at one point a varangian guard because he knows how to speak latin and a little bit of greek so he can communicate with Omar Sharif's character and translate what's going on so yeah that
0: was really kind of a neat little um neat little scene there where you actually had one guy that could communicate with them. Because, I mean, hell, you got, you know, Scandinavian Vikings versus Arabs. I mean, there's no commonality of language there at all except the Latin part. So I thought that was kind of cool. I like that.
1: Yeah, it was a nice touch. And the way they they made the transition into Ibn, (laughs) as they called it, (laughs) son of. um, Ibn. Ibn, which means son (laughs) in Arabic. No, you don't understand, Ibn. How he learned the language, but I think we're drilling down when you wanted to explain the movie.
0: Well, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. So anyway, he the whole story basically shows how Ibn Fahlab. We'll just call him the Arab because that's pretty much what the what the Norsemen call him. So they call him the Arab. So the Arab goes in the in the tent, hangs out with them throughout the uh, little funeral party that they're having. And the next day, there's another emissary that comes in that lets them know that there is a mysterious evil that is plaguing the land of this particular king. And they need help. And they call in this, uh, what is she, a witch or something like that? She's a like throne. one of those- you have
1: to have a crone. Have it's Norse crone.
0: mythology. There you go, a crone. So she throws some bones down and you know reads this thing out and says, you know, we need 13 warriors or 12 warriors and then one who is not a Northman. So 12 Northmen sign up, and they said the 13th warrior must not be a Northman. And everybody just kind of looks down at the Arab and is like.
2: <laughs> everybody else has figured it out. But yeah, you know, everybody's all figured it. out. He's like,
0: that is one of the greatest things, <laughs> you know. Uh, what What are you saying? saying? (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) welcome to our little unit. And it's kind of a neat thing because they do show how he slowly kind of bonds with them over time. And I did enjoy the whole idea of how they show how he learned the language. And I know, Jeff, that 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 was a thing with you. I thought it was really well done how they did that because he had no idea what language they spoke. But when you think about how long it took them to get from, say, Turkey up to Sweden, I mean, uh, you're, you're,
1: you're talking probably, probably the North Sea, wherever, they, then they uh, took a boat across.
0: Yeah, and you're talking, what, maybe by foot, six, seven, eight months, maybe longer. I don't know. You could pick up a language pretty quick. If you just sat there and listened, I mean, that, I mean, he would figure it out. And well, yeah, the way, if,
2: you, if you had nothing else to do besides you know ride along and listen because you could you couldn't communicate otherwise so you would just spend that entire amount of time you know listening and learning and figuring out what uh, you know what you know and as a poet you know he was already a verse in uh, in languages right so you know, at least in, in his own language. So he probably, um, you know, it, 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 I think it lets us know that, you know, this this isn't some sort of country bumpkin, you know, that he is a pretty intelligent guy and can think his way through certain situations, which you kind of see throughout the movie. He's He well, is pretty bright. He's
1: very he bright. Brought, there There's a great scene with Bulvi where he, and Bulvi is the leader of this band and a uh, noble in the Norse uh, of the Norseman, it has this whole little scene, and it's very short, but it, it's it's very telling to your point, Jeff, of the you can draw sounds. Yeah. Where he's talking about you can write, you can mm-hmm. draw sounds, and he shows him how to write in Arabic, and that that just kind of, that's very that kind of summarizes the view that this guy is somebody more than we thought he was.
2: Well, you kind of get that in the in the camera work where you see bullby sitting there and he is he is intently staring at at his char- at uh, at uh, at little brother, you know uh, Antonio Badeo's, uh character, where he's like studying him and he's like, you know what, this this guy is uh, there's something about this guy and yeah, he says uh, you can draw sounds. You know, you know he, he realizes that this is, this is somebody that is, is going to be useful.
0: One of the things that's interesting about this movie is Antonio Banderas is about the only, other than Omar Sharif, is about the only actor in the entire movie that you can recognize. If you actually look through the list of people in the movie, everybody in there is uh, from Scandinavia. Actually, the interesting part is the guy that played Bullvi. Yeah, Vladimir Kulich. Yeah, he is not Scandinavian at all. He's actually from, uh, he's actually a neighbor of my uh, homeland. And his name is Vladimir Kulich. My middle name almost was Vladimir. I found that out. But that's okay. Kind of thought that would be cool, though. Might have changed that to my actual first name. He's actually from the Czech Republic.
1: And he was most recently in another movie that I think it's streaming right now on Netflix. It's not bad. It kind of. Falls in this category, uh, Ironclad, which takes place during the yes. reign of King John.
0: Yes, that you know what you saw that, Mark?
1: Yeah, solid, that, solid. It's, not that, great.
0: It's not great. It's a solid movie. It's actually pretty good.
1: Worth a rental.
0: Yep, it's worth a rental, and that's actually one that we have to at some point put on the list because that's a pretty decent movie.
1: Yeah, and it's again, it's one of these movies that I think we're, we're going to drill down into why this movie didn't do well, why Ironclad didn't do well, it's it's in that sword and sandals genre but it's not Rome. If you put Rome around something, it's probably going to do all right in the box office. You go to the Reign of King John and it doesn't have Robin Hood in it, you're not going to do well. Or you go with a bunch of Scandinavians. Viking movies haven't been in since the late 60s. And I think that's what impacted this movie.
0: And you know what, I'm glad you brought that up because I really do, I I really want to talk about that a little bit because this movie was really good i thought i thought from an action standpoint i thought it was really well done you had an excellent score and you know how i like scores i like movie scores this one was very good the score really set the movie and i was a little shocked when i did some of the research and saw how much it cost cost this much to make this little shocked by that price tag. I don't know. It's not like you had... I mean, really, other Antonio Banderas, I mean, you didn't have a name actor. And let's face it, he's not exactly uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio name actor. I mean, yeah, everybody knows who he is, but it's not like the guy's done a ton of work since then. I don't know. Maybe this movie killed his career. I have no idea. I thought the movie was really good, and I'm curious as to why... These kind of movies seem to fail.
2: It's, it's a genre piece. And it, if, you, if you do a, you know, a subsection of culture, you, know, you can probably, or at least our society, you can probably rule out 50%. Most of the females are not going to want to see this type of movie. Okay? They just don't want to go and see a lot of violence. It's just not their bag. Um, and then you break it down to guys that want to go see movies. And you know what? I'm going to guess you have less than 50% of the guys that want to go and see something like this. Really? I'm gonna guess because from a lot of the stuff I've been reading, um, a lot of the a lot of reviews are are kind of fifty fifty. A lot of people just didn't a lot of guys just didn't seem to connect to this movie for whatever reason. they had issues with it. I don't think that this was really marketed that well, but even after it was marketed, they said it did get a little bit of a cult following to it as more people I think kind of picked up on it. I think it's a great movie. You know one of the big beasts that some people have is, well, there's not much of a story there. But I think as I talked to Mark earlier in the week, I think one of the reasons that it makes this movie well worth watching is it is clear and concise and to the point of what they're gonna do. There is no, you know, fluff to it. There is no side stories. It is very direct in what they're what this what the point of the movie is, and they stick to that all the way through. There is there is a a beginning, middle, and an end. There's not any fluff or flair to it, but I just think that People in general aren't drawn to these sword and sandals types of movies in general, you know, but they are drawn to things like Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. And the uh, last
1: movie like this that did well was Gladiator. And let's face it, Russell Crowe was a a known entity. And again, it's a it's a Rome sword and sandals flick. And you say Gladiator, people go, I get a Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a love interest, and, and they played a lot of those issues well. But I, I agree with Jeff; it just doesn't fit the genre. It's not fantasy, so you're not going to get the fantasy geeks. And
2: well, I it's, think it's, it's very similar to if you put, let's just say, a Napoleonic movie up there. One of the reasons Hollywood's not making Napoleonic movies is who's going to go see that? No one can size relate to
0: Europeans. It. Yeah, no one, no one can relate
2: to it in this country. I know mean, we can relate to that, but can yeah. they, you know, can they really relate to this? Because you kind of heard, oh well, I mean, you know, it it seemed to be a little, it, it's kind of fantasy. When you put the fantasy title on something, a lot of people, you know, snub their noses to it because it's not, you know, it's not real; it's made up. But Master and Commander, great movie, yeah, but great it didn't movie. do it didn't do too well. People aren't drawn to, I think that, you know, that's another genre of, you know, I don't know, boat movies. Just, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I'm well, to and, and you're the right, Jeff. Is. I mean, The whole point of this movie <clears throat> is very straightforward. You have 13 men, and these are guys. This is a guys movie. There's two women in it. They have very limited roles. Their job is to go home or go back to this kingdom because the Vendals, which are basically Neanderthals, yep. are plaguing the land, root them out, root and branch, and kill them. Your job is to save save the kingdom. That's it. Go home. Find these guys. They're brutal. They hunt in the mist. I'm sure you'll get to the fire dragon. Yep. They're scary creatures. They play on all the fears and myths of North mis- Norse mythology, and that's their job. Okay. And they're also kind of hard if you don't understand or don't like that type of genre to wrap your head around these guys are very stoic and they're very fatalistic and they play very well to the north norse mythology of you know uh, i think herger says you know the skein of your life the, the thread of your life was written little brother long ago whenever right. you die is when you die right and, and that's that like, doesn't the, play well to americans right and you know what that was
0: really a point a lot of these guys are very, they're not fatal they're not pessimistically fatalist no. but they all recognize Eventually we're all going to die. It's a matter of how you die.
1: Well, and it, that's shown real well in how hard they live.
0: Yeah, and I like the part in in this is jumping way ahead, but even that one scene when they've they've penetrated the, the layer of the vendo, they've killed the queen and ran down all the to the end, and they finally realize it's like the end of the stream. There's like it's like a dead end. There's nowhere to go. And that one scene when the uh, you know they hear what sounded like thunder, you had the one guy start up laughing. He said, "God of all things, now it's going to rain on us." He's they're trapped in a bad situation, and he laughed because it's going to rain, even though they're in a cave. Just one of those things. I like that. I like how they pointed out that even in the most dire situations, they were just kind of like, "Well,
2: shit, this is what happens." Well, and let's. Let's go to the shot just right before that, where character who was wearing the uh, the breastplate throughout yes. the movie. I um, liked him.
0: I really oh, liked him. He, he was one was, of my
2: favorite guys. Oh, he was great. And But, you know, he, he basically had taken a club to the chest. Yep. You know what? He knew that he couldn't go on. He wasn't going to be able to have the lung capacity to go down there, and he was just going to stay back and delay as long as he could. And he looked at Antonio Banderas, the character, and said, with a big smile on his face, it's a good day. day to die yep he knew that, that dying was not everything but how you the events leading up to your death he knew that he had done a great thing that day and he right. had saved it you know they had you know taken a step and saving the kingdom and he was completely at peace with dying no issues with it
1: well and it goes back to the whole conan and conan plays off crom plays off the whole norse mythology i'm going to go to valhalla because i'm going to valhalla in the way that my forefathers will accept me and i will be remembered in song and story by those who live after me and, and so they're okay with it you're right and it's a great scene and oh, but the, what's really great is even the the arab looks at him and he gets it the yep. look in his eyes they don't say a word he, yep. just, he understands.
2: Yep. Well, the Norse wanted to. They felt if they fought the best battle they could fight on the battlefield, that the Valkyries would come down and take their bodies up to Valhalla. And that's what they wanted. The, every, they, they almost wanted to die because they knew that they would go to this grand place.
1: Well, it's fighting and wenching and drinking
2: all, 24-7. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, Fire trucks, maybe.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Fire yeah. trucks. Yeah. Nice. Fuck you. <laughs> and you. All right, that goes on the list. We got to review that one.
0: Wow. There we go. Anyway, <laughs> where we where, where were we anyway on this movie?
1: Before you go any further, Steve, brother, what you sipping?
0: Well, right now, you know what, folks, for those of us who are imbibing in one of God's greatest creations, I am drinking right now, bells and it's a Michigan brewery, Bell's Porter. Mmm. It's it's very good. It's a it's a nice porter. Got a little bit of a hop taste to it, and I'm also chasing it with a little bit of uh, Maker's Mark from your part of the country, Mark.
1: My part of the country. Yep.
2: Very good.
0: Mr. Muncy, what are you uh, enjoying today?
2: Got the old standby, the
0: Sam Adams
2: Cream
0: Stout. Because nice. if you said rum and coke, I was going to be over uh, there about 20 minutes.
2: A little Sam Adams here. And uh, you know, like I've got uh, more in my refrigerator than anything else, so I might as well just start whittling that down.
1: Very nice. Mr. Mark, firework. Well, I... I just finished a Three Floyds Brian Boru Old Irish Red Ale, and I, now I am into a Samuel Smith's Caddy Porter. Oh, those are good. Yeah, I love it's those. It's not too thick, but it's just thick enough.
0: Yep, those are nice. You don't quite yeah. need a spoon with it. A fork will do. Fork will do.
1: Yeah. Strainer.
0: <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Strainer. Samuel Smith, very nice. So moving on to this incredible film, one of the things I did want to talk about a little bit, and we didn't talk about it in the last couple of movies because it wasn't much of a, an impact on the movie, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about the score with this movie. Jerry Goldsmith uh, did the score. Gosh, guys, I, this is a good one. This is really one of the ones that I would say was very well done. I think Jerry Goldsmith really did a nice job on this one. One of my favorites, it's on my iPod collection. I don't know, your thoughts? Um,
2: I like the score. It fit the movie I did feel at times there was a, a one composition that was overplayed. I know what you' um, talking about you know it it was it was the hey, we've got a scene here and we need to put some music in so let's play this again. And you know, I'm really I, when I when I hear movie scores, I almost want individual, You know, music pieces for different scenes throughout the movie. I was talking to Mark recently. I watched this movie, uh, Death Rides a Horse, with uh, Lee Van Cleef. And through the whole freaking movie, they played one song. And, you know, it's an all right song, don't get me wrong. But about the 15th time you hear it in every situation, it's a little grating. But, you know, this movie isn't that bad. But in general, you know, aside from that situation, the music pieces work work really well. And there was one at the end of the that they ended up using in uh, one piece at the very end of the movie they used in um, uh, Ridley Scott's uh, Kingdom of Heaven. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So yeah. they recycled it, yes. But I, it, a solid soundtrack. I don't have it on my iPad or my iPod. But, you know, it is music that, I mean, it really, I think it fits the movie. It's kind of sweeping music. It's not like the Conan um, in-your-face type of music. Right. It is, it is very, it is very. Um, I don't want to say it's mood music either, but it's very sweeping. It lets you uh, feel the emotions, but uh, not not so um, in-your-face.
1: Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in my top three of this genre, um, and I would say that Conan still is number one because it, it really runs the gamut of emotions. And does it well. This and Gladiator are also right up there. They're great. I will pop them in on a regular basis and listen to them. But like Jeff, I think there's some repetition, and and that's okay. It works. It, it drives the story. Uh, but I know you commented in your review of Conan, both of you, that that the score in many ways and the music of Conan tells the story. This, as you just mentioned, Jeff, enhances the story, and it it doesn't take the place of it. It just it does does a very good job of reinforcing it. And, and it works, and I enjoy it, but it's not it's not the end-all, be-all of, of the sword and sandals scores. I, I've got a default to, um, to Conan on that one.
0: Like I said, Conan to me is one of... To me, that's one of the classic scores of the movie. The music, and I'm not going to go off on a rant, but I'm just saying the music in that one is just... It's almost classical music, the way it was done. And this one... Kind of fit that. And like I said, I'm just curious about what you guys thought about the score. I understand what you're saying, Jeff. I know what you're talking about. There was some repetition in the score. I recognized it. But
2: it's such a damn good...
0: It's such a mm-hmm. good part of those... Mm-hmm. You could see where it's like, well, we can't really come up with something better. Let's throw this one back in. Let's
2: throw that in here. Yeah. Well, but also, I guess the, one of the thing. I, I Again, I like the soundtrack here. It, it seems... At times, like a movie soundtrack, not like what you have with Conan and some other movies, where it's like, wow, the, you know, these are standalone pieces that you know are well created and, and composed. Right. It just feels like, you know, what these were okay. We're just going to have a very simple yep. uh, montage of instruments here, and it, it works. But it's it there's not some sophistication to it that makes me really really appreciate it. That said, I think it's good.
1: I agree. I would say that Conan and Gettysburg also, they're not soundtracks so much as they are pieces of music that stand yes. alone.
0: And that's a good point, Mark. That Gettysburg, that's an excellent point.
1: 13th Warrior is a soundtrack. Yeah. Conan, Gettysburg, they they are pieces of music that can stand on their own that also obviously work very well in a movie. And I know we'll get to Gettysburg when we do a War Pigs movie. Oh, my goodness. So, but uh, that's a, that is probably, if you said, what would be your favorite soundtrack other than Conan Gettysburg? But um, no, it, it's fine, and it, it's good, and it, and it drives the movie, and I enjoy it, and it does not take away. There are a lot of scores that I think ruin a movie. I'd say this is a solid B.
0: Yeah,
1: it is. This
0: is a solid B movie because, to be honest with you, it's one of those scores. For me, a score is one that I'm going to put on my iPod is one that if I'm watching a movie and the music captures me, so to speak, where I'm like, I'm really paying attention to the music, not so much to the movie, that's where I'm like, wow, that's some good music. So if I'm watching a movie and the music actually pulls me away from the movie, I'll probably put that on my soundtrack or on my iPod uh, collection. Wanted to know what your thoughts were on that one. I thought that one was um, pretty good as most movie scores go because, yeah, there's some, like you said, Conan, uh, Gettysburg, Gettysburg, like you said, Mark, God, I mean, the music in that is incredible. And we will be doing Gettysburg. That may have to be almost a a, a two-part show for that one because that's pretty rich. It's pretty rich. I mean, just gosh, just for clips alone.
1: And Bad Beards. Some really good beards and some bad beards.
0: God, were there any good beards in that movie? Yeah,
1: there were a few well, yeah, there were a couple. I mean Chamberlain has a good beard, but we're getting off track.
0: Okay, back on track. Back now on
1: there track. are good beards and there, great hair in this movie. There's good beards and great hair by
0: all means. I think every beard in here was real. There were no Oh yeah. Yeah, there were no fake beards and no fake hair in this one. So, I don't know, what did you guys think about, just, I mean, the overall action of the movie, I thought it was really well
1: done. It wasn't horribly gory. I gotta tell you, Steve, the goriest scene in the movie, to me, bar none, is the rinse and spit scene. <laughs> Where we're all There's a bowl, just for the listeners, there's a bowl, they've all partied hard, there's a bowl of water, and it's a communal bowl that everybody blows their nose in, rinses and spits back into and shares. You know, it's
0: that like, is one ow. of the things where you can't do, because we're only doing a podcast, we're not doing an audio or a, a video cast. You can't even <laughs> capture. You know, I mean, you could do the video or, or the audio of that. It would never – the look on the Arab's face, Antonio Banderas' face, when they're doing that, was priceless. I mean, they're passing around. you got one guy, he's, like, washing his face, and, you know, it's like he takes a mouthful of water, you know, gargles, spits it in the bowl, hands it to the next guy. He does the same thing. And then when they hand it over to Hargar, and he does the same thing, and he's blowing his nose into it. The look on Antonio <laughs> Banderas' face is priceless.
1: I'm saying it's the most violent scene in the movie. It I'm really like, is. It is ah. the
0: one scene where you actually say, "You know what? This is a good time for a uh, for a foul movement, pee break. I have to go.
1: <laughs> I, I, I need a wipe.
0: Yeah, gotta go. I'm mean, you know what? Smoke break. This is where yeah. you have to do it. That scene alone. <laughs>
1: It is, sets the tone for the Norsemen. It's communal property. Yeah.
0: And you know what the thing of it is is that something that Jeff and I had talked to about pre-show is that you were looking at at the time this is that this was set in, the Islamic world was very sophisticated, very technology advanced you know well, very, ba-
2: Baghdad was considered pretty much the center of the world. Yes, because all roads led to Baghdad during that right. time period. Right. I mean, it was, a, it was a culture mecca trading capital, and everybody everything went there.
1: Until the Mongols <laughs> wiped oh. it off the map.
2: Yeah, until mm-hmm. the Mongols came in, but up until that point. You know. Up
1: until then. Nope, and if it, you don't know what we're talking about, go look it up.
0: Yeah, and that was a thing. I mean, you were taking somebody who was very, very well-educated, very sophisticated, didn't believe in superstition. Yes, he was religious, but he understood science and all that stuff.
1: I mean the only thing going for the Europeans is a Byzantine Empire. Pretty it, much. it's still hundred and twenty five, hundred and fifty years thereabouts before the first crusade. And I mean we're 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 on the early middle early period of the of the Middle Ages.
0: Yeah. And especially when you're talking Scandinavia where they were hell, nobody <laughs> even knew those guys already existed. I mean they were pretty much unknown. Yep. So I mean he was he was literally going into a new world. I mean it was a very eye opening experience for him.
1: Jeff, what did you think about the violence of the movie?
2: You know, when I think of the violence of this movie, it really makes me want to talk about the, uh, the cinematography of it. Because I felt that it may be one of the best cinematographies I've seen and with the use of lighting. Because... So many movies, you have some sort of, you know, off camera somewhere, some sort of. I don't want to call it. A, I don't want to call it. You know, just this giant shining light that allows you to see everything. I really like how they use natural, um, like candle lighting, coloring to light up the battle scenes. They did have, you know, in the assault, the first assault on on the town, they had um, they had these weird backlights behind them, but I thought it worked pretty well. In the sense of you could see the action that was going on, but it was really dark throughout the movie um, in the battle scenes. I thought they did a really good job of, uh, you know, there wasn't too much flashy swordsmanship. It was very direct, brutal contact in the sense of usually when somebody got hit with a weapon, that that was it. You know, it was usually a killing blow. But the way that they had it set up to shoot the scenes to have the lighting and it was it was dark but it, you could still make out all the details of what was uh, what the action was i thought it was it all came together rather well brutal no you, there's been far more bloody or gory movies out there um and i i don't know was this movie rated r that's uh, a great question <laughs> because what? by the, today's standards it could so. almost be it could almost be pg13 i mean that's how i mean yeah there was violence in it but from what I understand, with the Hunger Games is coming out, you know that probably has more violence in it than uh, than the Thirteenth Warrior does.
1: Yeah, I want to think this was a PG rated movie because I don't think they didn't they dumped PG thirteen on us yet
2: in ninety nine. No, oh, I think they had had they.
1: Oh,
0: PG thirteen was before ninety nine.
1: Oh okay. gosh, that was like was yeah. Like,
0: this oh. this definitely was not late eighties. This movie was not R movie. My gosh, no. or, there no, was no no no. Yeah, there was no there no, was. It is I R.
1: I take it back. It is an R rated movie.
0: Is no. there really?
1: Yeah, it's rated R. Not no. by today's. It teenagers.
0: is no It way. is rated R. No, he's right. I'm looking it, at it right now. It is well, rated 15 R. Fifteen
2: years later this isn't rated R. There's no way. I mean no. the violence is it is it is yeah, I mean, it's it's there's violence, but it's not graphic, it's not gory, there's not blood. Well, there is a scene with the beheading, but... Um, I, think where, I think that's
1: where it gets its R rating. You if know you know probably. What, not I think, there's right. There, lop, there, there,
0: off. You got a couple of scenes where guys are getting their heads ripped off, so yeah, that's probably where it got its R rating. So yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, because you don't have the F, what, you get one F-bomb before you hit an R rating now. And they don't drop they hardly swear. They so didn't,
0: there wasn't even an F bomb in this movie. They didn't no. even
1: speak that like Doesn't there fit. was like
0: there was like no swearing in this movie.
1: No, this wasn't pulp fiction.
0: No.
2: So it had to have been the beheadings. That's yeah. what gave it the R rating. But you know, the the violence was not it wasn't gratuitous. There was purpose to it for you to understand the savagery of what you're dealing with. It was more of, Hey, this is what we're talking about, but it wasn't, I don't think over the top. No. And not. it just gave you a sense for, you know what, you're dealing with a very barbaric type of uh, people here. And as Mark said earlier, you know, kind of, you know, based on the Neanderthals, um, where, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're there's not much social, uh, um, uh, etiquette here. It's, you know, we're going <laughs> to, right basically te- tear your head off and uh, and take it with us but again you know the the fight scenes you know they they were i thought they were well done but it wasn't over choreographed and again, the, the thing I really enjoy is the way that, is the lighting of the movie and the way that they um, have everything shot. It's dark, but it's uh, it's got this natural kind of because everything's lit up by candles and torches and whatever. And when you have that uh, that major assault with the with the cavalry riding in, which by the way I can't find anywhere that it says that that was any sort of that was that 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 was CGI.
1: That it, looked real stuff. That was that real. was real stuff. But you yeah. know and. Two two quick things. One, you jumped you jumped on it and I'm glad you did it was a cinematography. The sets were awesome. The the costuming was great. There were a few anachronisms like one guy's wearing a Morian helmet, you know, which is not till the sixteenth century, and you gotta be a total geek like us to catch that. Or the Are gladiatorial you- helmet that the one guy's wearing, the Thracian helmet. But the cinematography, the set design, it, it it's all really Top notch, the costuming's top notch. All that stuff, those details are very well done. The one thing that I'm just sitting there the whole time going, they're Neanderthals. Where did they get all the fricking horses?
0: Well, I think they're Neanderthals <laughs> in the book. See, the, it,
1: they are, yeah, they see, are. That's the thing. They're Neanderthals
0: in the book, and I think they kind of, just, you know, for the purposes of the movie, you know, we have to upgrade them because. I mean if it was just infantry, nah, they'll never they'll never penetrate the wall. So, I don't know. Maybe they had to uh give them the horse thing to give them a little bit more of a ominous setting or something. I don't know.
2: I think it worked though. I think the horse, the cavalry effect was because the scene with them riding in pretty impressive I thought. It was. That was really an impressive scene. Yeah, for a bunch of people just walking up with torches, yeah, you wouldn't get that. (laughs) It's just, okay, well, they'll be here in a half an hour. You know what? There was a sense of urgency to it. The amount of cavalry impresses me. As they're coming down the mountain, I'm sure that that was probably some sort of uh, uh, photography trickery to some point. But when you get in close, you see throngs upon throngs of cavalry riding in with torches. And, you know, tactic-wise... Yeah, the way that they go about doing their assault made perfect sense. I thought it was. I thought the bat. The the the, again going back to the story, it was very focused on what it was about. You know, you had three main combat scene uh, combat scenarios in the in the movie, and all of them worked out well. It I thought the flow was great between you know. You know, their preparation time, what they decided that they were going to do when they make their, when the Vikings decide that they're going to make their assault, when they are being assaulted. It just kind of flowed throughout the movie. I always felt that there was a sense of urgency throughout the movie. It wasn't like, okay, we can just sit here and, 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 and do our thing. Well, you know what? You, you can't because they, you are far outnumbered and you're going to have to make a move. You can't keep weathering this assault over and over and over again.
1: Well, that's a really good point. It, it, it raises the issue of, and maybe this is another reason why it didn't do well in the box office. The heroes are really on their heels, pretty much this movie. Th- they are forced to react to the op for, to the opposition force until the very end when they, when they figure out what they have to do to, to, to stop this. They're, they're not the heroes who are, Spoon-fed to most American moviegoers, of their you know, yeah, they'll have one big problem, but they'll get over it because they're the heroes. These guys are on the ropes trying to trying to manage a bad situation as best they can.
2: Well, the other thing that I think really killed this movie, going back to you know Steve's question earlier, is when when you have most critics giving it a um, a one and a half stars, that'll kill something bigger than anything because nobody's like, well, you know, the critics are saying this, you know, we're not going to give it much legs. But to add credit to this movie, once it got released on DVD, because it bombed. It bombed big at yeah, Bob's office. But once it made it to DVD, it recouped a lot of its money through DVD sales, and they, they attribute that to kind of word of mouth. That people were like, you know what? Not a bad movie. You need to go check this out. And so that's what happened. People you know, bought the DVD or watched it or whatever. And if you go out there and look at the reviews, you know what? If you buy into this genre of of movie, the people that are reviewing it are giving it, you know, four or five stars. If yep. you don't buy into this, well, then you know what? It's it's you know, yeah, it's a one and a half two star movie. And yet, you can find problems with the movies. They're they're, they're subtle. They're little things. The um, as you pointed out, Mark, with the uh, the armor. Okay, this is you know they, they took some liberties just for flair of the movie but
1: and unless you're us you're not going to catch it right unless you, you know. are a student of history appreciate medieval history know that sort of thing you're not going to you're not going to know this this is a guy's movie yeah these are guys guys yeah. They're because we blow each other if you haven't figured this out on the podcast we all know each other pretty well and we blow each other Please a lot of
0: crap <laughs> i was gonna
1: say you no, not that. that stop that. That, you, that. You stop mid-thought. Blow, and that's... Blowing each other crap. Oh, okay, oh, thank you. <sighs> no, you have to say, say it again. Blowing each other crap.
0: Thank you. Okay, okay. it's on
1: record. <laughs> on record. Muncie oh, you're in timeout. I just no. You're in timeout. <laughs> Please quickly you're in timeout. add you're in timeout. something. <laughs> Obviously, you're on spring break and you're in timeout.
2: <laughs> oh my God.
1: These guys just they don't give each other a break. And if you notice that, I really enjoy that is they know each other pretty well and they adopt Banderos' character and you either you can either keep up with them or you're gonna get rolled. And we all know that because we've known each other for a long time. That's how guys are. And whether or not, you know, that plays well in late in twenty first century world, I don't know. But to me, I sit there and I just it resonates with me. I watch these guys and I go, I like these guys. These are my kind of people.
2: You know, there's a connection between this movie and Aliens that we just watched, and it, we we talked about it last week. Where the the group the the group starts out large, you know, in this case thirteen, and Aliens it might have been thirteen. I don't know. I didn't count heads. But in both movies, they basically dwindle them down really quick to get to the core core characters in the story that you're going to follow for really the last half of the movie mm-hmm. and you know it, it is a it's a formula that uh you know i think hollywood likes and i think you know, it it you you sort of need it so it doesn't completely detract from the rest of the movie and you can kind of focus in on it but it um you know just a neat little connection there
1: yeah and great characters they're all different you know bolvi who is the leader in many ways, he's a very silent leader. Yes. He, everybody respects and follows him, but the character and the actor really does not have a lot to say throughout the movie. But what he says is very important. Herger, obviously, is the comic relief, but also the guy who everybody rallies around and knows that hey, you, you want if Herger's in on this, then, yeah, it's bad, but we're all going to die with a smile on our face.
0: Let's talk about clips. I want to do clips right now because I think we're at that point. We're going to do clip, and this is the clip where Antonio Banderas and his uh, companion come along with him, and they go into the to the uh, Norse camp, meet everybody, and they're trying to come to somebody who actually can understand the language. They come across her because he speaks Latin. So we're going to play clip one. An Rex Tabernacolo! He says the king is out there
2: in that tent. No He says the king will not speak to us.
0: No qui mortuus est apparently the king won't speak to us because he's dead. I like that because you know the sad part is, is that when Herger started talking, I knew exactly what he was saying. And that goes back to my uh, Catholic school days. But you know what? We're not going to go off on a rant on that. But anyway, there is on clip two one of my favorite clips. We're going to play that one right now and we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He thinks <laughs> your horse is too
1: small. <laughs> and I'm
2: thinking about only an Arab would bring a dog to war.
0: You know what I like about that part is that's what, yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. What they were like making fun of because they were just like, Alright, this is the dude we gotta bring along with us on this little chore. And they have not accepted him. They think he's a dork. They think his horse
2: is a dork. (laughs) They don't like him. Well, what's ironic is actually, Arabian horses are very tall. Are they really? They are taller than what was um, what was being uh, rode in Europe or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, Europe, Britain at that time, wherever this story has taken place. They were actually, Arabians are taller, and these the horses they ride were actually not the heavy, almost war horses that they were riding, typically. What Europe had at the time was, uh, was more medium-sized horses. So it wasn't as bulky. Arabians aren't as bulky, but they are a lot taller. So this had this was all done just for these uh, the introductory uh, scenes with with Eben and, uh, and and the Vikings just for um, uh, you know I guess to set the tone of this is their respect level but they which is low at the time but they gain but he gains their respect as he as he becomes kind of part of them.
0: I didn't realize that uh, European horses were that big.
2: They weren't. Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah. But it's it's for show. It's for the show. It's for the purpose. It, it, it drives the story. And again, we who, who knows where we're at in the story. Actually, do you know where it was filmed at? The actuals, obviously, the actual film. <laughs> you know where it was filmed at? Canada, British Columbia. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You get you get some great scenes when they are up there at that at the duel right before they get to the point in the movie where they're doing the duel. You you get some nice shots. Of the uh, of the coastline there, Vancouver, from from on top of the uh, the mountain area there, and I thought, gosh, that looks a lot like British Columbia.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, um, it's
2: cheap to film in Canada. Oh, very cheap. It's it's been cheap. I mean, they want you up there. Oh yeah, main industry. That's so. right.
1: Well, that and exporting people like William Shatner to us. Well, there's that. There's
2: that.
0: Dion, Dion, or what?
1: Oh, no god. celine Dion
0: oh god
1: uh, <laughs> you had to, you are responsible for that one my oh, man dear.
0: yeah well I'll let that one slide
1: let's go to clip three
2: um,
0: is that one of your dogs running in the background I heard
2: shaking of Jake. did you hear that are I heard that me? oh my god that was my dog scratching at that was your dog that's my dog I thought it was one of marks dogs like no, that's mine. It's or my dog. My or I told you this Turtle Beach headset is the shit. <laughs> yes, I'm like, what was that?
0: Is that, I thought I'm like, okay, you know, I thought tambourines or
2: something.
1: <laughs> what we listen to, <laughs> Tambourine Man? What? I, I love Abba.
2: All right, all right, <laughs> we're, uh, we're
1: going to clip three. I cannot. We'll remember. vegans?
0: I can't remember what clip three <laughs> was. I'll play it anyway. And to the south,
1: the edge of the trees near the first ridge line. Something drove them out. Put your hand down, little brother.
2: Put your hand down, little brother.
0: That was great. That was the
2: first time he called them that. That was the bonding, right? That there. was the bonding, and you know, and you get the feel, you know, that once he learns their language, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, oh wow, you know what you're, you, you know you've made the effort and yeah it is put your hand down little brother because he you know he is kind of he is that you know what you're going to be with us i'm going to have to teach you everything so let the you know let the class begin
1: and what they're talking about in the movie for those who haven't seen it is they've gone and investigated a farmstead that's been butchered that's they realize what they begin to realize what they're up against and they realize they're being stalked on either side as they ride back to the to the main village because they're watching as the um, the deer get driven out of the woods. Right, and it's a neat little scene. It's it's one of those that they didn't need to put in there, but it 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 tells the story that there is something out there. There are monsters lurking that are just as capable as the protagonists
2: It's that really Scott, got tension that they're setting up that it's you know it is this you know it's you know there's there's shadowy figures moving out there but uh, it, it is a nice little scene you know I'm sure somebody just opened up the cage and set the animals free but
1: <laughs> the saltlet is to the south Go down. Your <laughs> Was it
0: that obvious that the uh, deer just kind of like walked out of the cage? Yeah,
1: Yeah, it was that obvious.
0: One of the scenes, and we're going to play the clip of this, is it was the whole conspiracy part. I have a feeling, and gentlemen, please correct me if I'm wrong. Do you feel that there was a certain part of the movie that was cut out that kind of led up to this? Because it seemed like there was something missing here.
1: There were a bunch of things if you if you look at this. There were a lot of things that were chopped out of this movie.
0: Yeah, because this particular scene, and I like the part. This is after the duel, and the whole lead up to the duel that made me go. There was a big chunk of this movie that I didn't see.
2: Are you talking about? Are you referring to the with the prince? Prince. Yeah. 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 It it is. It's very disjointed, and the how we arrive here. Yeah. And why we why it's necessary for us to, you know, have to even have the duel, because afterwards, there's not I don't you just don't get a sense there's any residual effects to it. He's exactly. gone.
1: He walks He's, off stage. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. That, I mean, that's well, OK. So where do you know, way to go? Did you go to, you know, the next resort town over? And I mean, <laughs> Belterra,
1: what yeah. the what, what, gamble at Belterra?
2: And I and I think that that is what some people that did watch the show and and try to appreciate it had a problem with was this this part of the movie would you say it's the halfway point in the movie pretty much <laughs> pretty much that that it, it's 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 almost forced upon us and it does feel weird but at the same time there are some great lines and scenes in this in this string of events that's leading up to the duel. And right afterward.
1: You just don't know how you got there. That's what throws you is, is, okay, there's this guy who you see who's referenced as the prince. Then we have a fight with his lackey to make everybody realize that um, we're, we're really the good guys. And there's probably about five minutes of exposition in a, in the movie that, in the, that didn't get in this movie that could be in the extended edition that you go, what happened?
2: Right. But there's not an extended edition, right?
1: No, not yet. I keep hoping. They'd have it if they did. They'd have it out if they did.
2: They gotta make some more money.
1: Yeah, I think it all ended up well, it's not even on Blu ray. Wow. I haven't even looked. We are gonna go on to clip four, and
0: that is going to discuss the part that we were talking about. The whole dual issue and everything that went on. I just like the dialogue. I like the intrigue that was going on because Mm -hmm. I thought there was something that they took out of the movie. There was a lot of quote political intrigue, unquote mm-hmm. that was going on and that was the whole purpose of this duel. And I like this part because you saw the duel with Hagar and the seven foot five giant that he was up against who up until the last minute thought he was just gonna carry the day and ends up getting his head cut off. So I'm gonna play that right now. You you could have killed him at will.
1: Yes. What? Why the deception? Deception is the point. Any fool can calculate
2: strength. That one has been doing it for the moment. He saw us. Now he has to calculate what
1: he can't see.
0: And fear Well, he doesn't know. As you say, foolish and expensive. We will miss Angus tonight. We will miss his
2: sword. They lost a good fighter. They lost a good fighter in it, it is. It is really. It's a great scene because they haven't clued um, Eben into what's going on. That they they needed this uh, this facade to to hold. That they're going to set him up, and at the last moment, you know, he's they're going to turn the tails on him. The question I have that I and again it goes back to this whole thing is whole disjointed. There's after he um, cuts the head off, he ends up throwing a pouch of coin at the feet of the prince right now is it were paying prince for the for the value of his lost soldier or was it they were returning the payment because i thought th- uh, i thought it earlier the uh, the female that was in the movie had said that uh, the prince was going to try to kill Bullvi. And that's how I, this kind of got started. Is she's is she, she was kind of a warning by her that the prince is going to do something.
0: I saw him throwing the coins. Here's the burial costs. Okay, that's what I saw.
1: This,
2: Mark, what did you think?
1: I'm sorry. What was that again?
2: <laughs> what? All right, we're doing a podcast here. Um,
1: <laughs> Had to get a beer. <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did you have, like, a mini fridge or something? I, I ran out! Oh, jeez. Um, all right. Uh, well, yeah, I'm I'm past it now. You're going to have to listen to the podcast and answer it later, I guess.
1: <laughs> Sorry! You did a refreshment.
2: No, I was asking, uh, there's a scene after he cuts off the head of the big red guy. He tosses a bag of coins uh, to the feet of the print. Yeah. What, what is your take it, on
1: the purpose? The, the per- um... I, I kind of view it as blood money. Like, you know, you you, you bet against me, and you chose poorly. I think it's, we've got a bad edit here. I, I, I wonder about it, and I, I'm, I'm throwing out a guess. I don't know what, what transpired that led up to that, because I think it got cut out of the movie.
0: Yeah. So anyway, next clip, and this is one of my favorites. This is the scene, first assault. This is when the Vendo come down and assault the town. Uh, the Arab goes down and saves the child. The one child that was evidently late hearing the alarm, gosh, I don't know, maybe she was taking a nap or something, and decided, oh, I'm going to try to run my way back to the, uh, you know, to the fortress. And Ibn goes down, rescues her, charges back to the safety of the forest. And this is one of my favorite lines of the movie, and it's clip five, and I'm going to play it now.
1: Now you saw the fireworm. Discovery,
2: <laughs>
1: I rather prefer a dragon
2: it's it's it is really the reason that's that may be you know the one line that um you know endures me to that character. I mean that's you know that is that's the characters like um prefer a dragon because he knows what kind of hell they're about ready to receive exactly with- this onslaught of nothing but cavalry, right? Um, you know, you know, you know the jokester, but you know he's very practical. And that's what I
0: liked about that guy. That's why he was my favorite because even when I mean, he was like the comic relief but he was still very serious at the same time. He wasn't the joke of the show.
1: He wasn't the Hudson of the movie.
0: Exactly. Thank you. He was not the Hudson of the movie. I mean, he was very, he was, he was kind of like the laid back when the shit hits the fan. I can deal with it. I, I always saw him very much as the first sergeant of the group. Kept the group together. He was very much the, uh, the centerpiece. You know, Bullvi was the leader, but even when Bulvai fell, people still would still fight because
2: Hagar was there. Well, he could hold the group together, but even at the end, when Bulvai is down, you see sort of a, I don't want to say a morale check. Well, maybe it was a morale check on mm-hmm. his part yeah. when they said, you know, wish we had Bullvi. And, you know, his response, which, oh, you guys know it, um... "'Tis a small matter." That's what he yeah, says. "'Tis a
1: small matter."
2: a small matter." But you see the grave look on his face
1: Yeah.
2: when he says right. that, because it's like, this is not... Him out of it is not a small matter. But he's almost trying to convince himself and everyone else, he's trying to rally the troops. But he's not selling himself on, it's not a small matter. When Bolvi does come out, you... I mean, you know, the, the spirits and yeah, the group rise when they see... This guy's on his deathbed, and he's coming out here one last time. He's going to die in
1: Viking. battle. Yeah, he's going to die a Viking,
2: and it inspires them. Uh, and of course, you have the last classic, uh, the, you know, the last prayer that they uh, that they say.
1: Well, and and please you know tell what, me that's clip six, baby. It, and you know what?
0: Why do you bring that up now? God, because clip it's six. It's almost like we plan
1: this, isn't oh my it?
0: God, Jesus. You would, you would have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: this would be clip six. It's and like we could
1: read his mind, Jeff.
2: Oh, really, we had no idea that, that happened.
1: <laughs> we're gonna have to have a talk later.
0: But no, clip six. This is clip six. This is the final, what I refer to as the final prayer before the the great battle. This is the if you want to call it the God of Damerung of the pre medieval period. This is it. So we're gonna play clip six right now. Lo, there do I see my father? Lo, there do I see my mother, mother and, and my sisters sister
1: and my, my brothers. brothers. Lo, there do I see the line of my, my
0: people, people
2: back to the beginning. Lo, they do call to me. They bid me take my place among them. In the halls of Valhalla, where the
0: grave may live
2: forever. That's a great line. I really like how they did that. Yep. you know it, it, it's 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 in some movies when certain things are spoken or said or you know you get kind of that you know that kind of that goosebump that tingle every time I get that that uh, you know my hair raising up um, it, because it is so well done um, and I liked how they arranged that.
1: Yeah, and I that and the quote prior to that by. Banderas's character for all that we have thought and not thought for all that we have done and have not done uh, that those two prayers, as it were, I, I've got those in my in, in my kind of journal of notes of observations about life because they just to me, they really both of those prayers really summarize just a viewpoint about life. This is just how you live your life and and it's it's so well done. it's not and that this is one of those parts where the music really plays to that scene, and it's not overwrought. It's just it's just put out there. I know I'm going to die. We're all going to die, probably, and this is our death prayer.
0: What do we say as far as a man cave drawing award? Jeff, little brother Muncie,
2: um, you know. I am going to give it. I'm going to give it. I'm always the high on the high side here, and I'm going to give it another high rating. I'm going to give it about an uh, an eight, and a, half, eight um, and a half. Man cave drawings, and because I really like how, even though it, the reason I you know it's not a ten is it is disjointed in some and in, in some in the middle of the movie. You, I, you you definitely have that feeling that there's some things that were cut out, you know, reshot or whatever, and it does not flow. But it doesn't totally detract from the movie. The score, just um, the inconsistencies with it for some reason, or just the overuse of some, uh, and um, you know, the, just and it's a little uh, a little on the uh, light side. But I really love how this movie is shot. It's not as sweeping as you know. Um, Conan, um, who was the director there, Melius, no, it's not as sweeping as that, or as sweeping as like Ridley Scott in some of his movies, like you know, yeah, uh, it's Kingdom not Kingdom of, of Heaven. It,
1: you
2: know, so there are you know, say what you want about that movie, and I would love to review that because I will defend the movie I'm
1: it, right there with your brother, especially the extended edition. You've got it,
2: it, it is the, the extended way. edition. You've got to see the extended edition. There are just some only Ridley Scott can make desert look gorgeous because um, I'll I'll go. I I. What's that?
1: I want to go to the desert. ridley Scott shot it. I want to go to the oh desert. Oh, my
2: God. I want to go there. You know, it's not as sweeping. The scenic uh, shots are not as sweeping, but the close-in battle sequences, uh, the lighting just does it for me. I think they do just a, a splendid job with that. So I'm going to give it an eight and a half on the uh, man cave drawings. Oh, and not to say that the acting, I thought, was was really good for what it was.
0: Okay. Mark Fireworm Muncy, or I'm sorry, Jesus,
2: <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Mark oh. Fireworm Slover, what do you say? Wow,
1: I'm hurt. Well, I know. God, Can't get Muncy. Come on. I got the hair. Remember? Oh, I got yes, the hair. Did. Right. You know what? I had pictures drawn too. Thank oh, you. I'm I'm right there with Jeff for all the reasons Jeff said. It's eight and a half man cave drawings and a mastodon. <laughs> I, uh, and a Mastodon by gosh I like this movie it, it, and again it's right in my wheelhouse it's the kind of movie that I sit there and I just go yep if I've got I know these are the kinds of guys and, and you too and, and people who listen to this podcast and, and get to know us a little better God help you are going to find out this is the kind of stuff these are the kind of people we are. This is the kind of thing that when the shit hits the fan, this is just who and what we are. This is the way we believe. And if you don't like it, okay, go listen to a different podcast. This this movie, really, deep down, there's the issues of honor, loyalty. They, they're unsaid. They're unspoken. They're not beaten into your head. But they're there, and they resonate with me. And that's why I like this movie. I can watch it over and over again because – There's this unspoken bond between all these guys that we're going to take care of each other. And it's really well done.
0: Gentlemen, I am going to give this one an 8. Because as my good and dear friend Mark Fireworm Slover said, (laughs) I like the idea about the honor aspect. I like the idea about you stick with your friends no matter what. I like that part. Nobody, even at the end, even when those guys, towards the end, they pretty much resigned themselves. Yeah, we're all going to die. You know, a lot of people ran, but they stood there. And they stood there even before Bovi came out. But they still stayed. And that's why I liked it, and for our listeners, there are different genres that we like that we look at as guy movies. There are fantasy guy movies. There's the action-adventure, the war movies, sword and sandals. I mean, there's different little genres that we are going to review throughout this thing. So, you know, this is, what do we put this in, guys? Sword and sandals, not sure. Kind of combination of a whole bunch.
2: What do you almost, think, Jeff? Almost, almost. Almost fantasy.
1: And you either like these kinds of movies, and they don't make these often. Um, Obviously, Hollywood stays away from it. And I think part of it was the reason they made it was because you had Michael Crichton and John McTiernan. And those two, they figured they'd make bank on this, and they didn't. Um, And you really don't see a movie like this. This, what, came out in 99, I think? You don't see another sword and sandal epic until Gladiator, really. What's
2: weird now is we are totally immersed in Sword and Sandal right now though between if you watch any of the paid uh, the paid channels like Game HBO or Thrones. Showtime Game of Thrones you've got uh, there's one on uh, Showtime called uh, Spartacus is it Spartacus Yeah you know and it, it's like you know you've got all this stuff um you had Rome a few years ago which I'm yeah you know, I wish they would have continued it on but I saw how it was kind of tough You, <laughs> kind of tough to continue that series on but um, but you know you've you got it and it plays well when you have gratuitous sex have you noticed that? all those that aren't well HBO hell yeah time, you know they, they play very well with gratuitous sex maybe that's what this show is missing maybe if the 13th Warrior had gratuitous sex in it it would have done better alright well thank you all for listening this is been episode six of the man cave movie reviews check us out at our website at www.mancavemoviereview.libsyn.com. that dot com. Uh, drop us a line for this week's show we want to hear from you april 13th that's a friday we want to hear what you want to hear young frankenstein the great mel brooks movie or one of bruce campbell's classic movies army of darkness check us out let us know what you want and top vote getter that is the uh, movie we will review
0: thank you jeff and we are out